Well, good morning. My name is Kyle, and I am one of the pastors here, and we are finishing up our series this week on Paul's words in Colossians, where he says to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. And we have looked at various types of people that could find themselves in the place of outsiders, those who uh, are totally detached from the church, who have never heard of Jesus, who uh, maybe are vaguely familiar with the Christian faith, but really not much relationship or experience at all. And then we've walked through to those who are seeking, who are skeptical, who are inquiring. We've looked at visitors who are attending the church, who have walked through the doors. We have looked to the place of making a commitment to follow Jesus. And this week we come uh, to what does it look like to be a fully invested and involved member of Christ's community. We might ask, again, what, to what end or to what goal are we trying to make the most use of our time before outsiders? And as Nick preached last week, Jesus gave us a command, make disciples of all nations. That's our goal. Our goal is to make disciples. It's for outsiders to become insiders. It's for seekers to become finders. It's for skeptics to become wholehearted, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But the sad reality is, is that many people stop short of becoming wholehearted, invested followers of Jesus Christ. This is what philosopher Dallas Willard calls the great omission. He says that we have omitted discipleship from the great commission, that rather than, rather than making disciples, we have made those who are mere converts, who profess identification or proclaim to be Christians, but are not seeking to follow Jesus. And there is something about Willard's thesis that seems empirically true, doesn't it? Just this week, a book came out called The Great Deturching by Jim Davis and Michael Graham. And they say, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country. 40 million American adults once went to church but have now stopped going, mostly in the last quarter century. They write, quote, most people have left the church, or sorry, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the first great awakening, second great awakening, and all the Billy Graham crusades combined. Now, if in the last quarter of a century that's felt like a trickle and so we haven't noticed it quite as much during the pandemic the floodgates opened when one in three churchgoers dropped out of church altogether many never to return now you say but Kyle Maybe I say, well, so why, why did this happen? I would say the reason that it happened is because I think that Dallas Willard's thesis is true, that people were under-discipled, that they weren't rooted. But you say, well, wait a second, Kyle. You're talking about discipleship and following Jesus, but all those stats are about involvement in the church. What do those have to do with one another? What does church involvement have to do with being a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
That's the question that I want to take up this morning. As we do so, let me pray for us. Lord, I am very cognizant that in our cultural moment and in this room at this time, this topic is very difficult. The plausibility structures simply aren't there. Many people have been hurt by the church. Many people have drank from the wells of Western individualism to such an extent that we just, we have a hard time seeing what's in your word or seeing it as important. Lord, I can't convince anyone today, but your spirit can. So would you work in all of our hearts that we might know what it means more so to become followers of Jesus? It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, I'm just going to tell you up front what my thesis is. My thesis is that you can't be a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ without being wholeheartedly devoted to his church. That intrinsic to what it means to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus in the community of his church. Now, there are a lot of places I could go in Scripture to actually support this thesis. But I'm just going to use one, and that is the text that was read in Romans 12, which I think gives us a great picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5. In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Now notice that there is a word that Paul says over and over again in this passage. He focuses it on three times in these two verses, and the word is member. Paul assumes that to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means that you are a member of his community, a local church community. Now, membership is very difficult in our, and I want to acknowledge, it's very, very difficult in our cultural context today. And it's difficult for a couple of reasons. One is there's an erosion of trust in institutions generally, and especially the institution, uh, institutional church, because the church has failed us in lots of ways. And I want to acknowledge that. And it's not just, though, the institutional church. I think we're skeptical of political institutions. We're skeptical of ex uh, educational institutions. We're even skeptical of the institution of marriage. That's why many people are avoiding it. But I don't think that's the only reason. The other th reason that we have uh, where this idea of membership is so difficult is not just a, an erosion of trust in institutions and the institutional church, but it's also that we live in a highly individualistic society. where we don't like to see ourselves as, in our identities, as beholden to or dependent on institutions. And so the question, what does church involvement, much less church membership, have to do with being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is an extremely pertinent and pressing one in this room this day. I realize that. But I want you to consider a couple things with me. 
First, I want you to consider that in the gospel, to be a disciple is simply to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus said to people over and over again in the gospels, come follow me. And every time, if you go read the gospels, every time he issues that call, when he tells a person to come follow me, he's saying, come follow me in the context where there are a community of people who are already following him. So Jesus is not saying, come follow me as an individual. Jesus is saying, come join this community and follow me here. Or think about baptism and making disciples. Jesus' great commission last week was go and make disciples of all nations. And one of the ways that we do that is by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But baptism... Paul writes elsewhere is not just identification with Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says, you were all baptized into one body. And then he goes on to say, the body does not consist of one member, but many. In other words, to be baptized is to become a disciple of Jesus Christ and be identified with him. But it is also to become a member of his church, his body. So if that's the case, then here's our goal. Our goal is that every seeker would be a finder. That every visitor who walks through those doors, that every regular tender would become a fully involved and invested member in Jesus' church, whether this local church or another one. Well, what would that look like? Cue Romans 12, because I think it gives us a great picture. The first thing we see here is that to be a disciple of Jesus and follow him in a community of his church is to identify with Jesus' community. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Jesus, or Paul here, says that, that being a part, a member of a church, is akin to being a member of a body. Now, sometimes we like to think of our bodies as separate from our identities, you know, that they don't belong to us. But I think deep down we know that, like, my pinky is me. I mean, if I... If I hurt my pinky, and my pinky hurts, I hurt. It's not just my pinky that hurts. I hurt. If you don't believe me, never mind. Uh, I'm not going to do that illustration. <laughs> but, but think about it. If my pinky gets, gets cut off, I mean, there's a sense in which I know this pinky belongs to me. It has my DNA. It has my fingerprints. It even has my freckle pattern, which I know a lot of you do not have. It belongs to me. It is part of my identity and it is identified with me. So too being a member in the church community. To be a member in the church community is to, is to identify with the church community in the strongest way possible. Anne Rice, the go Southern Gothic novelist, uh, she, through some study, converted to Christianity 12 years after that conversion, she announced that she was leaving the faith. When she announced that, she wrote, quote, in the name of Christ, I quit Christianity and being a Christian, amen. What's Anne Rice saying? In the name of Christ, I quit being a Christian. She's saying, I wanna identify with Jesus, but I don't wanna identify with his church. I'm going to identify with Jesus, and I'm going to do so without identifying with this church. But what verse 5 says, what Romans 12 verse 5 says is that is impossible. 
Look at it. Verse 5, so we, though are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are members of one another. That is that, that, that our identity is bound up together with the identity of other Christians in a local community. And that we can't identify with Jesus without identifying with his church. And because it is bound up with Christians in a local community, you know what that means? This can't be theoretical. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm identified with, you know, Christians generally. No. Paul is writing to a specific church that meets at Rome with specific people, with specific foibles, and specific sins. And I am speaking to a church that meets at a specific location, 36 East Victoria. So are you a mere convert or are you a committed disciple? Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a church community that you fully identify with and that fully identifies with you? Where your identities are bound up together? Maybe let me put it this way. Are you able to say, not simply, I attend that church, but I constitute that church? I am that church as a constituent member. Some of you are exploring Christianity and you are coming to see that the claims of Jesus are intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. And you're starting to, to believe that everything he said and did is true. And you're asking, what would it look like to follow him? I want to invite you to become a member of one of his local communities, his church. To be a fully invested, committed follower of Jesus Christ. College students, welcome back. We're so glad you're here. Can you say not just I attend this or that church or I attend a different church every week, but I'm actually a fully invested, committed member of a community so much so that, that I identify with them and they identify with me and we are bound together. We are members of one another. Can you say that? Man, my prayer is that you are able to say that in your college years. And if it's not at this church, at another one in, in town. Because that's what Jesus wants for you. Some of you are coming here and you've identified as a Christian for a long, long time. And you've been coming here for a long, long time. But you attend. You don't identify. Not as a fully invested, fully involved member. I want to invite you to take the next step in following Jesus. To be his disciple. To go from attending the church to being the church. Because to be a disciple is to identify with Jesus' community in the biggest way possible. Second, to be a disciple is to sacrifice as part of Jesus' community. Look at verse 1. Paul opens this chapter. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Now, are there any grammar sticklers out there? Anyone notice anything idiosyncratic, weird, maybe strange, off about what Paul says here? You're like, wait, wait a second, Kyle, we're in church. School has already started. Summer is over. Does anybody notice that, that Paul's prepositional phrase does not agree with the noun that it modifies? We would expect Paul to say, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Or to say, to present your body as a living sacrifice. But he says to present your bodies, plural, as a singular sacrifice, and the parallel is broken. Does Paul not understand grammar? No, Paul understands grammar. It's not that he doesn't understand grammar, but he really understands theology. And what he is saying is that, there are a lot of implications for what he's saying, but what he is saying is that you are to, each individual person is to be so fully committed to the community that they become a unified sacrifice. That's your spiritual act of worship. That you become one. Not sacrifices, not your life as sacrifices and individual sacrifices, but one sacrifice. And, and I, could, I could talk a lot about the implications of Paul's grammar here. I mean, has everything ranging from why do we say prayers together with one voice in this context? But I just want to point out one. And that is this. This at least means that to be part of a church community will require sacrificial commitment. It will require a sacrificial commitment. A lot of us, we really want, we really want deep down a wonderful, connected, reliable community. I mean, who doesn't want that? We all want that. But we usually want it without having to sacrifice anything or think that we can get it without having to sacrifice anything. But that just is a lie. We want to think that we can have a fully reliable, fully connected, relational community where we have a sense of belonging and that we can lean on others and others can lean on us. And we want to do that without sacrificing extracurriculars of our kids. We want to do that without having to sacrifice traveling every weekend. We want to do that without ha having to, without, um, having to say no when we're asked to, be on, to serve on certain boards. We want to do that w without having to and still be able to block our Saturdays and our Sundays fully for family time. It's a myth. To have a community where you belong and are connected, uh, that means that there will be some things that you have to sacrifice. Now, I want to acknowledge that there's a tension here because we are supposed to be salt and light in the world. And of course, we want Christians serving on boards around town. And of course, we want Christians involved in institutions around town. And of course, we want Christians loving their neighbors and having relationships with them. Of course, we want all these things, but we can't think that we can have a community without some sort of sacrifice. We can't think that we can have this community, the community that Paul describes while still chasing our version of the American dream. Verse 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what is the pattern of this world? In this particular day and age, I think the pattern of our world is consumerism. And we bring that to the church as a purveyor of spiritual goods and services that we go and get to receive in exchange. And so, how do you know if you're a mere convert or a disciple? Let me ask you, do you, church, do you approach church more like a consumer or a sacrifice? Does your approach to church look more like a consumer or a sacrifice? Are you a spiritual consumer or are you a covenant member? that is bound in promises to other people, members of one another. To be a disciple is to sacrifice as part of Jesus' community. Third, to be a disciple is to steward for Jesus' community. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, Each person is to consider themselves according to the measure of faith that has been assigned. Now that's a very odd phrase at the end of verse 3, measure of faith. And a lot of people like, both lay people and scholars have kind of been puzzled by this. But there's a guy named John Goodrich. He actually lives in Orange County. Uh, he was a doctor brother of mine, and he teaches at Moody. And he has done a lot of research into this phrase. And what he's noticed is that this phrase appears a lot in the ancient world in context where someone is a manager of a household. Right? In the ancient world, they had uh, people who managed their households, and households were more like estates and businesses, right? Not nuclear families. When the Bible says household, that's not what it's talking about. And so it's talking about, the, the, and so it says that, that these, they had these managers, and these managers were given a measure of faith. It's talking about what they were entrusted with. Like we have property managers today, and money managers, right? And what a property manager is supposed to do is to manage the property, to steward it uh, in the best interest and to the ends that the owner would want. And so on the basis of this, uh, Goodrich says that uh, here's how we should maybe a better way or a more helpful way of translating this verse. Let each person evaluate themselves according to the trusteeship that God has assigned. Which makes sense of the context. He goes on, verse 6. Now, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given us. And grace just means gifts. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion of our faith and service and our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, etc. What it's saying is each person has been given a gift, a stewardship. They've been entrusted with something. But that which they have been entrusted with is not for themselves. But it is for the community. Uh, think of it like this. Um, yesterday, we had a lovely event at my house where we were, um, where we were uh, hearing about and supporting the ministry of Grace Hoyme at Reform University Fellowship and the great work that she does there. Uh, some folks came early, and they were setting up, and they had bought things and snacks for it, right? Well, you know, I, I was helping unload the car. What if I took, like, one of the snacks that was meant for the party and, you know, on route to the snack table where I was supposed to set it, I just decided, like, these look really good. And I'm kind of hungry. You know, and what if I just kind of 
darted off into my room. I would never do this. I darted off into my room, and I just started, like, mowing through some of the chips and, uh, and uh, artichoke dip that was there, right? Well, you say, like, well, no, you, you were entrusted. That big responsibility, Kyle. You were entrusted <laughs> with getting the chips and the, and the artichoke dip to the snack table, and you didn't. I mean, that would be kind of like theft, right? Well, it's the same way. When God gives us gifts and resources to be his stewards on behalf of his community, and we hoard them and use them for ourselves. So how do you know if you're a mere convert or a committed disciple? Let me ask you the question. When you look at all that you have been given, Do you see yourself as a steward for the community of God's people or do you see these things as something you are entitled to use as you will? Your time, your resources, your experience, your suffering and your pain, your expertise, your knowledge base and skills, your Network. Do you see these things as gifts given to you that you might steward them on behalf of God's community? Because we have been given a trusteeship. To be a disciple is to be a steward for Jesus' community. Finally, to be a disciple is to remain humble before Jesus' community. Right in the middle of this description, Paul gives this warning against pride. Look verse 3. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Let me ask you, some of you have been Christians for a long time and identified as followers of Christ, but you've yet to become a member of a church. Some of you have been attending here for a long, long time, and you have yet to take the step of taking vows of membership. Some of you were vitally connected to a church, but during the pandemic, you just stopped going and didn't see the need anymore. Why? Some of you are considering leaving the church. Why? My guess is that in and behind whatever reason that you have that came to your mind, that behind, in and behind whatever reason that is, Underlying it all, could it be that there lies pride? I mean, think about it. Some reasons that we don't want to join a church is because we feel like if we were to join that community with their beliefs and their practices, that it would somehow sully our reputation. Because then we would be identified with them. Remember, point one? And they with us. But don't you see the pride in that? 
to say that, that somehow we would be tainted by the church community, but it wouldn't be tainted by us. Another reason that maybe people don't join the church is because they don't want to put themselves into an accountable relationship with the church because they simply feel that they cannot trust the church. And listen, I understand the church has done a lot of horrible things and the church will hurt you. The church has hurt me. But what are we saying when we say, I can't put myself in an accountable relationship with the church because I can't trust the church? I think we're saying that, but I can trust myself. But consider all the ways in which you have shown yourself to be untrustworthy. And I've shown myself to be untrustworthy, even to myself, over and over again, as I let myself down. And you let yourself down. Do you see the pride there? Or maybe we say, you know, I... I don't want to put myself in a dependent relationship with the church because I just don't see the need. I mean, I can follow Jesus on my own. Just meet Jesus in a Bible, that's enough. But don't you see the pride in thinking that you don't need anyone to help you interpret the scriptures and to do so in the church and alongside the great tradition. Don't you see the pride in, in thinking that, that you don't need anyone to, to encourage you to keep going when the road gets hard? Don't you see the pride in thinking that, that you will never be in a place where you are destitute or you have forgotten the truth and you need a community to come alongside you and pray for you on your behalf because you don't have words to pray anymore and to worship for you and sing for you on your behalf because you don't have a song anymore and to believe for you because you don't know left, right, and center because of the tragedy that you've been through. Don't you see the, the pride in saying that you don't need anyone to actually help you determine whether or not you are really following Jesus? and not just self-deceived. Now we are all prone to this. Notice Paul says, verse three, I say to everyone among you, he gives this command to everyone because every one of us are prone to the pride, even if we become members of a church that will destroy the church community. And so the command not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment is given to us all. But here's what sober judgment says. Sober judgment says, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Sober judgment says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, and I need other people to come get me when I'm wandering. Sober judgment says, I'm prone to forget who I am and I need people to remind me that I am beloved, that I am chosen, that I am called, that I am sanctified, that I am justified, that I am God's. Sober judgment says that, that I am prone to self-deception and I need someone to speak to me the truth and I'm prone to rationalization. I'm prone to twist the scriptures to my own ends and I need a community of people to keep me in check. And sober judgment says that whatever sins and foibles that community may have, whatever inadequacies in their confession of faith, 
Mine are certainly not less. And they are probably more. Sober judgment realizes that you can't be a wholehearted, devoted disciple of Jesus without being wholeheartedly devoted to his church. And so I have an invitation for you this morning. Become a wholeheartedly devoted follower of Jesus Christ by being a wholeheartedly devoted to his church. But still, you say, why? I've given some scriptural rationale for why I believe that membership is intrinsically bound to discipleship. But still, where's the motivation? Well, let me tell you a story. Maybe you can be part of it. Imagine with me that you're sitting around with a group of people. And, um, and someone starts talking in that group of people. And... They're not being exactly polite. They're not being mean, but they're not being exactly polite. And they're, they're talking about this, this woman that everyone kind of mutually knows. And this woman happens to be kind of annoying, always talking about herself, doesn't know when to shut up. She's also a little disheveled. She's never on time. And, uh, and man... She is an awkward dancer. And as this person saying all this, all of a sudden you're there and you realize that one of the members in that circle happens to be her husband. Nothing you, the person was saying was untrue, technically. How do you think that husband's going to respond? Hey, that's my wife you're talking about. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Hey, that's my wife you're talking about. Well, the church is this, and the church is that, and the church says this, and the church says that. Hey, that's my wife you're talking about. says Jesus. So why join the church? Because the church is Jesus' bride. The bride he chose. The bride he gave his life for. The bride he cleanses. The bride he nourishes. The bride he cherishes. The bride he beautifies. The bride he ultimately glorifies. Don't you want to be part of her? Warts and all. What's stopping you? from being chosen, cleansed, nourished, beautified, glorified. What is stopping you? Consider that an invitation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.